And what we've been trying to make a transition and, and looking at history, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding that world history is the Bible. God history. I, I don't care what you look at, wherever anybody had a history book, it still started from Genesis. And people ended up where they are in the world starting at Genesis. And, and it's out of the culture of the Bible that we come to understanding of all mankind wherever they are. And we know that God spoke to his people with an understanding that he is God Almighty, creator of all things. He tried to get man to understand his power, his laws, through creating kingdoms in this world. And that kingdom started off with a group of people that he chose to tell his story through. And that group of people are the who? The Jews. That's why in, in, in Hebrews, Paul tells the church that talking to Jews, don't get big-headed about this, what you used to be, right? The Jewish nation, because of God, he said that through the bloodline of a king, the true king of all kings would come into the world. And that was true what? Whose bloodline? The king, as far as a king. Huh? Through Abraham and through Abraham's bloodline, the king of kings would come through, would be the king. Who's the king of all kings? Jesus Christ. But in trying to teach the world and trying to teach people, he used people. And that was through the bloodline of David. Remember he said through David he created a dynasty because David was what? Obedient to God's word. And because David was obedient to God's word, God's people, the Israelites, those who had delivered years and years ago out of Egypt, right? Through the bloodline, David came through, through the son of Jesse, right? The 12 tribes, and through that bloodline came Jesus Christ. Jesse, in reference to Joseph, right, was from the same tribe of people. His earthly daddy was Joseph, but we know, according to the scripture, and Mary knew that it wasn't Joseph's seed that had impregnated her, right? Because when Joseph found out, it, Joseph said, what? The Holy Spirit? Yeah, my mama told me about that. No, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> See, and, 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 and God put in Joseph to stay with her until he learned to grow in faith. And understand. And out of, out of that, they started to realize, you remember when Jesus was at the age of 12 and they, they visited Jerusalem because 
there were three major holidays that every pilgrim, just that every Jew tried to make it back to Jerusalem. And when they got ready to go back home, they looked and they, said, they saw he was missing. And they went looking for him at the age of 12. And where was he? He was in the temple talking about God and all the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the people who supposed to know God. They were amazed. How in the world does this 12-year-old understand things? Because not everybody went to Jewish school. Rabbis did. When they had their bar mitzvah at the age of a certain age, uh, and, and they learned about the Jewish history like we're learning about the Jewish history, they decided whether they were going to be what? A rabbi, a teacher. Remember when Jesus came on the scene, he says what? Call no man teacher. Right? Don't call no man father, but the one. So, so we come to, 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 to understand that it went from the Jewish kingdom to the church of who? Christ. And that was always the struggle because that's why they crucified Jesus, right? Remember Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, who told you that? And Pilate said, look, don't, don't, don't play me like that. I don't know nothing about y'all. I'm trying to find out what this situation is. Your boys brought you over here and said you deserve to die on the cross. I'm asking you, are you a king? And Jesus said, not of this world, because if I was the king of this world, I can call down legions of angels and we put this thing to an end. But Jesus came to reveal the true kingdom, right? And that kingdom, turn to Matthews, and then we go, we go, we go. I think around Matthews 24, chapter, verse 9. Brother Cook, start at verse 9. Okay. Let, let me see. Let me, let me find it. I'm going to have my bifocus on. I think it's around verse 9. Start in verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you, ye shall be hated of all nations for many, my name's sake. And then shall many be offering, offer, offended. And shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall raise, shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abide, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, and save shall 
be saved. And this gospel of the, God of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Okay. The question his apostles asked him, when the end was going to come. And what the point here, Jesus is saying, one thing be certain, the kingdom of God will be preached throughout the world. Now the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking is a far cry from the kings that the Jews were looking for. They were looking for to be put back on top because what? God, God delivers our people out of Egypt. And he made us a prosperous people. He made us a big people. He sure did until y'all decided that y'all wasn't going to follow anymore. In the land where God had delivered them from, they started to follow their gods, right? The false gods of the world. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those scriptures tells about how wicked God's people became because as God moved them into a prosperous land, they look, God said, don't you marry their daughters and don't you exchange your daughters with them. But they, they became just one big happy Mardi Gras, right? And so Jesus had to come into the world and that idea of kingdom changed from kingdom where a king sit on a throne in his earth and we Jews Right? Mm -hmm. Just like everybody looking now, who's going to be the president? What party you going to be in? Who's going to hold the power? That, that, that whole concept and understanding is not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of, that's why, that's why, that's why, that's why Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Because if you're a king, that means you're not, we know Caesar is king. If you're not king, that put it into my story. Yeah, y'all go ahead and nail him on the cross. We agree with you. Rome agree with you. But when Jesus says, not of this world, Pilate went and washed his hands. He said, man, y'all bringing this man before me to give him capital punishment. You don't even have a charge against it. So now Jesus is saying, right? Look, he's talking to the church then. See, people say, people go to Matthew 24 to try to explain when the world will come. You got two things going on in Matthew 24. You got Jesus talking to them about A.D. 70 when the temple's going to be torn down because y'all won't get it right. The Babylonians going to come in here and march y'all off for 70 years to Babylon. And they still did, they, 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 they did it, they, they didn't get it right. So now Jesus is talking about, let me tell you about the true kingdom, right? The same thing that Daniel talked about in the fourth chapter. When the king asked him to interpret that dream, and he says, oh, it was about a man that was a big man, and at the top was gold and clay and whatever. And Daniel says, that's the kingdoms of the world. They all go fall. But one kingdom that's going to be established, and it's going to be established for what? All eternity. 
that kingdom we are now in for all those who put Christ on in baptism. That's the kingdom. And so what I'm trying to get us to understand is that when you look at world history and everything that's going in the world, being under the kingship of Jesus Christ, the church of Christ, right? Because you could put a sign on the wall, but if you're not following the instructions of the king, just like God tried to give the Jews a title that you're going to be, you're going to rule this world as long as you do my will. But the moment they stopped doing their will, they, they were suffering and, and didn't know why they were suffering. And God said, I'm telling you why you're, you're sacrificing your, church, your children. You're building all these temples. To, I mean, all the kings that came after David. Matter of fact, the kingdom was... was Remember, uh, David wanted to build a temple for the king. And God told David, now nah, I said too much, you're a man of war. You know, in other words, he was saying when things get rough, you're a man of war. That spirit will come up in you. <laughs> and I don't want to equate myself with you, David. David, you need to equate yourself with me. And that's the problem we have sometime in the church. Right? We know God's word. We can say God's word. And, and all of a sudden, we're on a kill with God. We're not following God's word. What we doing? We're following our emotions. All through the Old Testament, Malachi, God's people, his preachers, Wait a minute, who program are you on? Are you walking with the spirit of God? Are you walking to get what you can get out of the situation? Because what's gonna happen is God says the pressure of this world, he's gonna turn it up and what you are truly inside. And that's why the Bible says we ought to know who we are. Ain't nobody know you but you and God. But God will help us to see some things to know that I need to be under the kingship of God and the Holy Spirit. And that's what the church is about. And so you make a transition from worldly kingdomship, world authority, to authority that's led by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's what I hope you went back and looked at chapter 4. And, and the brother going to clarify it up some, and that's what we're going to look at. Thank 
when you hear the word church. Perhaps you think of the building. Sometimes I tell my wife, I'm going to go over to the church. Hopefully she understands that because I'll be the only one in the building, I'm not really at the church. I'm simply at the meeting house or the church building. Maybe you think of the church in the universal sense. Christians around the world who gather together to worship. Hopefully, you don't think of the church in just a denominational sense with denominational leaders and religious leaders and televangelists and popes and other people. And I hope that no one thinks of the church as just the pageantry and religious ceremonies that they might see in special services. But the church is correctly viewed as a universal church. Or maybe even we might view the church in the local sense, the group with whom we gather to worship and the folks that we know, maybe the people that sit on the pew behind us or in front of us, and we think of the church in the local sense. One of the difficulties of thinking of the church only in the local sense is that we sometimes might be tempted to forget and overlook the big picture of God's purpose for the church. But rather than looking at the church in the universal sense or the local sense, today I want us to look at the church in the eternal sense. I'm convinced that the Bible teaches that the church is part of God's eternal purpose. Sadly, some think that the church was established as a temporary substitute, that Jesus came to earth and that because he was rejected, when he wanted to set up the kingdom, he was rejected and so he set up the church as a temporary substitute. Oh, nothing could be further from the truth. The church is not a temporary substitute. The church is part of God's eternal plan. And so if God had in mind the eternal purpose of the church, why in the world wouldn't we take time to consider it and prayerfully study the church as part of God's eternal purpose? But before we can talk about the eternal purpose of God, we need to talk about the founder of the church. If the church is part of God's eternal plan, then certainly the founder is part of God's eternal plan as well. And of course, the founder of the church is Jesus Christ, our Savior. We read in John 1, verses 1 and 2, that Jesus pre-existed the creation of the world. What does that mean? That means that Jesus was here long before the world was ever established. Too many people might think that Jesus only started when he was born in Bethlehem, but the truth is Jesus is eternal. Do you remember back in Genesis when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness? I believe that symbolizes the Godhead, that God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost were present in the beginning. So Jesus is eternal, and he is the founder of the church. You will recall that Jesus told his apostles and made a promise that he would build his church, and the gates of hell or Hades would not prevail against it. So Jesus is the founder of the church. Not only is Jesus the founder of the church, but Jesus prepared the church 
When Jesus came to earth, one of his reasons for coming to earth was to make preparation for building the church and the establishment of the church. We read in Ephesians chapter 5 that not only did Jesus make preparations for the church, but he gave himself for the church. He loved it, and he gave himself. And Paul used that love as a model of the love a husband is supposed to have for the wife and the wife for the husband. Christ loved the church. He founded it, he prepared it for it, and he gave himself for it. God's eternal desire was to have a new people dedicated to him, set apart for communion with him. And the church is that group. The church shares in the Great Commission. You remember when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, gave the Great Commission to the apostles? He taught, taught them to go into all the world and to teach and make disciples and to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But you also recall that next part when he told the apostles, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world or the end of the age. And so not only is the Great Commission for the apostles, it is also for us. Because we believe through the words of the apostles recorded in the New Testament by inspiration. So God's eternal purpose included the church. God's eternal plan for the church is that its primary focus is evangelism. We're supposed to be reaching out to others. Part of God's purpose is for us, the saved, to help others to be saved. God's ultimate purpose for the church, for all humanity, is bringing the lost to him. Someday we'll all gather together in heaven, those who are found faithful at judgment. And we'll gather around the great throne of God with the angels, with the, the elders, and all those described in the book of Revelation. And we'll sing praise and glory and honor to the Lord forever and ever. But until that time, our purpose on this earth, the primary purpose of the church, is to share the gospel. The church exists mainly for evangelism. Our goal in life as the church is to evangelize and bring the lost to him. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And the primary purpose of the eternal church is for us to glorify God and bring others to him. So God has a purpose for the church. And the purpose of the church is for the preaching of the gospel. If you have your New Testament, I ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Now, if you don't have your New Testament, I'll be reading to it, and you can listen as I read. But let's notice, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7. In Ephesians 3 and verse 7, Paul was talking about the church and, and this gospel and, and in Christ. And he says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul is a recipient of God's grace. 
I believe it's important for us to point out that grace is necessary for all of us. Now, Paul, who considered himself the chiefest of sinners, back when we called him Saul, he had been touched by God's grace. If Paul had been touched by God's grace and had been brought to the Lord, don't we know that all of us have hope in Christ Jesus? All of us can be brought closer to the Lord. We all have a responsibility, and we may feel inadequate. We may feel, well, uh, unprepared. We may not think that we're well suited for sharing the gospel, but that's part of our purpose. And if the Lord can change Saul to Paul, don't you think he can change us into what he wants us to be? So God had planned for all eternity, and that plan was bringing the lost to him through the church. God's son died for the church. It must be important. Now, I have a confession to make. You don't know me very well, and, and I don't know all of you very well, but I have a confession to make. Sometimes, although I know that it's God's eternal purpose for the church to share the gospel, sometimes the devil puts a spirit of fear in me. Has he ever done that to you? When you know you ought to be doing something and reaching out to others, but yet the devil says, no, don't do that. You're inadequate. You're not good enough. You, you, you can't share the gospel. Well, if Paul, with all of his baggage and all the difficulties that he had experienced in his life, could share the gospel, I want you to know we can too. And God didn't give us a spirit of fear. And so let's flee Satan and, and resist him and get him to flee from us. And let's ask God to give us that power and that strength help us share the gospel with others. It's easy for us to become so self-absorbed that we want to spend everything on us. We want everything to focus on us. We want all the church's focus to be inward when God calls us for our focus to be outward and toward those who are lost. Oh, let's, let's build bigger buildings. Let's, let's buy our bigger things. Let's spend more money on us. No, no. God wants us to be evangelistic. He wants us not to be self-centered. So I'm not asking us to forsake and neglect our home folks. But let's understand that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. So the next time you feel inadequate to share the gospel, remember that it's God's eternal purpose. And if Paul, the chief of sinners, can do it, so can you. Paul says in Ephesians 3 and verse 8 that he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, these riches are not uh, material riches. It's not going to bring you millions of dollars necessarily. And we're not asking for any kind of donation. We're not asking anything about your money. We're talking about heavenly riches. Riches laid up in heaven for eternity. And so, Laying up treasure in heaven must include helping others to get to heaven. That's part of God's eternal purpose. Now, I know all that sounds like a mystery. Do you like a mystery? Sometimes I like to read a mystery, or I like to see a mystery television program, or perhaps a mystery movie. But the mystery that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9 
is a mystery that was hidden through the ages, but it has now been revealed. And you know what that mystery is? That God's going to take Jews and Gentiles, and he's going to unite them into one church. And the purpose of that church is to reach out to other Jews and Gentiles around the world and bring them to the Lord. The mystery is of the gospel is for all, that all are needing salvation. And that we shouldn't handpick those who are fortunate enough to be born close to us. We need to go wherever we can and teach the gospel to the lost. So God's mystery is that he will unite all who will come to him into one body so that we can serve him faithfully and loyally. Now, just this past Sunday, we had a fellowship meal after the evening worship services. My wife and I had agreed as one of our resolutions this year that we'd try to stay off sweets. Man, there was a caramel cake there. It, it looked so good, and I just thought, well, you know, I'm going to just take a bite. And so I just got a little bit. It, it was made by the former home ec teacher, and she's a great cook. And I just slipped that little piece of cake in my mouth, and I thought, no one, no one saw that. And when we reached home, my wife said, you know, I, I saw you take that piece of cake. And I'm thinking, this woman has eyes in the back of her head. No, the truth is. She was just looking out for me and what was best for me. But more importantly than anyone on earth that's watching, God's watching all the time. He knows how we're living. And not only is God watching, but the principalities and powers in heaven are watching too. I, I saw a bumper sticker the other day on the car that said, angels are riding with me. Well, I don't know about that. But I know that the Son of God is with us. He dwells in our hearts by faith. But I do know that angels are watching us. They're learning. It, what we find out here in Ephesians chapter 3 is that the church even reveals God's plan to the spiritual powers in the heavens, including the angels. Wait a minute. Do you mean the church is responsible for educating the angels? They know all about the power of God. They've seen his creation. The angels have witnessed things that we have never witnessed in our lives. But yet, we have a responsibility. The Lord tells us that the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. And so we know the angels are constantly watching. We also know that angels watch the activities of a local assembly. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10. And so angels, angels are watching. You might say, who cares? Well, all of this is part of God's eternal plan. He's revealed some things to the angels, but they learn about God's manifold wisdom through the church. And so what are the angels learning? Look at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 3. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I'm just calling them angels, but it's a lot more than just angels. So the church has a responsibility. Isn't it important for us to realize that 
We have a responsibility as a church, part of the eternal purpose of God. Does that not make you feel like that we have a responsibility, something that's really, really important for us? You know, as the angels watch the outpouring of God's love through the, through the church, and they, they learn about the manifold wisdom of God, you know what they do? They praise and glorify God. The church also must praise and glorify God. We must be what he wants us to be, and that is his church. We have God's mystery in our hands. As members of the church, we are God's stewards with that great truth. You know what a steward is, of course. A steward was uh, either a hired person or a slave that was given the responsibility of his master's household. We see an example of this in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 9, when Joseph was made the steward over Potiphar's house. In fact, when Mrs. Potiphar made a sexual advance toward Joseph, do you remember what Joseph said to her in Genesis 39? He said, no, all that is in my master's hand, all that's in my master Potiphar's hand is, has been given to me. And, and I can't do this to him. He, everything's in my hand except you. And then he says, I would not do this great wickedness and sin against God. You know, that's a steward. Everything Potiphar had was in Joseph's hands. Well, likewise, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that we are stewards of God's trust, of God's great truth. That means that we have a responsibility. Let me ask you something really personal. Now, we don't know each other well enough to get so personal, but let me ask you. If the whole church was as faithful as being a, stu uh, being a steward as you are, how would the stewardship of a church be? If the whole church were as faithful as we are, would it be faithful? If we have in our hands trust, something that's part of God's plan from eternity, isn't it important that we carry out that task and that responsibility? Now, we need to boldly approach the Lord. If we're feeling scared and we're not sure we're up to the task, let's boldly approach the Lord. Look, look with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. There's a little four-year-old girl that worships with her family at the church where I worship. And you know what she calls me? She calls me Ted. Really bold. Hey, Ted, you have anything for me today? You have any gum? You have any candy? Hey, Ted. Her family doesn't want her to call me that. They want her to call me Brother Ted, Brother Burleson, but she just calls me Ted. You know, that's a great honor to me. And she feels confident enough that she can just come up to me at four years old and talk with me and with respect, but also as just a friend. How much more important it is that we talk to the Lord and what we have because we're part of the eternal purpose of God is we have access to the Lord. 
And we can come boldly before the Lord, not rudely. You know, I'm told that each time the President of the United States enters the room, everyone in the room is supposed to stand out of respect for the President of the United States. Well, I want us to understand that someone far more important to come into his presence when we come before him with prayer and thanksgiving. We ought to show awe and respect, but because of Christ, we can boldly come before the Lord with confidence. God is to be glorified, and the church is vital in God's plan for evangelizing the world. You know, I often hear of problems around the world and people in trouble and crucial elements of difficulty and violence around the world. And the truth is that that will never be cured by military might. The only thing I know that will take care of that is the gospel. Rather than killing them, let's try to convert them. Now, I'm not saying that there might not have to be wars and other defense mechanisms. But let's understand that the gospel is the true source for peace. Let's reach out around the world with the gospel and the world will truly be a better place because of the gospel. That's God's plan. That's been God's eternal purpose for the church from all of eternity. That church would reach out to others. So God is to be glorified in the church and the way that we glorify him is living faithfully and reaching out. World evangelism, by the way, is not outdated. It's not something that we did in the 50s and the 60s. World evangelism still exists because we exist for evangelism. The eternal purpose of God is reaching out to others and bringing them to him. Now, I realize it's easy to get distracted when we're talking about world evangelism. When we're talking about the eternal purpose of the church, it's easy to get distracted. You know, we can see difficulties in human beings. We can see failures among our fellow Christians. And we can become so discouraged that sometimes we get distracted. But do not lose heart. We serve with fellow human beings. As long as we serve with fellow human beings, there are going to be those who will let us down and who will distract us. But do not become disheartened by the struggles in individuals or in the local congregations. It can discourage you. I, I know a lot of folks. I was just thinking this morning, I, I know of three young people who have recently left the church because they were so discouraged that we were not being what we needed to be. Let's be what we need to be. Let's be part of the eternal purpose of God, the church. Let's not divide over petty issues. Let's not allow discouragement to cause us to lash out at our brothers and sisters in Christ and to say hateful things about God and his family. We love the church. It's important enough that Christ died for it. And so we need to be serious about our responsibility for the church. Rather than becoming disheartened, we need to stay focused and keep our sight on the eternal nature of God's plan and purpose for the church. So 
when we focus on the church and its eternal purpose, it's really not about what we want. Someone sent me an email last night and said, if I could do what was best for the church, this is what I'd do. The church would be better if we just follow my plan. No, no. The church needs to follow God's plan because God is all-knowing. He's all-wise. He is the one. It's his idea. It's his purpose. Christ founded it. He prepared it. He died for it. And so we need to focus on his plan and what's best according to God's eternal purpose. And when we focus upon God's plan, we will not be so distracted by our own plans or the plans of others. Centering our focus upon our plan is a sure way, a sure path to disappointing and discouraging God and disobeying God. And so I challenge you, I challenge each one of us, all of us, let's realize how the church as the fulfillment of God's eternal plan from all eternity, because the church is that important. Almost every year, we have congregations of God's people around the world that cease to exist. Communities change, situations change, leaders die, people become discouraged. I'm told that the number of Christians is actually diminishing in some parts of the world. And it's easy for us to become so discouraged that we think, you know, the church just might fail. It might, it might just cease to exist. But what we really need
Already on it?
good. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for waking us up on this wonderful morning, dear Lord. We ask that you pray for those who are sick in there, Lord, and couldn't make it here, dear Lord, because we know that they would want to, dear Lord. Lord, we ask that you bless us on our journey to you, dear Lord, that you may put the light on our path, dear Lord, so that we may follow it in hopes of seeing you one day, dear Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture this morning will be coming from John chapter 9, verse 4, and it reads, I must work the works of him who sent me while it, while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Amen. And when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die sent me while it's day, the night comes when no man can work, can work. I want to say good morning, it's a wonder, 
wonderful thing to be in the presence of God and of the assembly of God's people. I want to say that, that whether you're a member of the Franklin family, whether you're busy or, or an honored guest, you're a virtual guest. I'm grateful that, that you're here today. I'm grateful that God has blessed us with again another opportunity for worship, praise, and fellowship among those of us that be the saints of God. Now, certainly we can open our Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes will be the lesson text for today. My invitation to you join me there is these verses will serve as the context for today's lesson, which is entitled Under the Sun. The book of Ecclesiastes, today's lesson is entitled Under, Under the Sun. The Greek historian and philosopher Plutarch, in his book Parallel Lives, he relates a, an incident that tells about Alexander the Great. He says that Alexander the Great, after seeing Diogenes looking attentively at a parcel of human bones, he asked the philosopher what he was looking for. And Diogenes' reply was, I'm looking for that which I cannot find. The difference between your father's bones and those of his servants is a difference I just cannot find. And no one would even deny that, that the bones of the king of Philip of Macedonia was different from his servants' bones. But neither could any man discover the, the truly significant differences when examining their physical, physical remains. The only important thing that distinguishes one life from another is the spiritual realm. And whatever other differences there may be, death levels out every last one of them. The only difference that distinguishes one life from another is that of the spiritual realm and death. Death levels every last one of them. I'm going to read to you in your hearing this morning. It's not on the board. But have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read in your hearing verses 1 through 11. It's going to be on the board. But I need you to understand the context for today's lesson, so thereby we will read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, with guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the sun all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I, I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and all the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping of the wind. There was no profit under the sun. 
And after making an extensive search for what it is in life that, that has any profit to it, Solomon came to the point of clear understanding. He was in a unique position of having available to him every possible avenue of pleasure and accomplishment in this world. He had it all. So we would say he had the world by the tail. And having literally tried it all, sensual pleasure and wealth and science and the arts and philosophy and wisdom, this was his disappointing verdict. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse number 11. I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no profit under the sun. There was no, I was only vexed. It was all vanity. And I found myself without any gain on this earth. I found myself with no profit under the sun. But why? Why is that? Because simply, no matter what the circumstances of a person's birth, no matter what his natural endowments, no matter what he enjoys in this life, and no matter what he accomplishes, earthbound advantages come to an end and exactly the same for every man. Solomon led a worldly life, a life that was far, far beyond the common run of any man that he will ever know. But even so, he was honest enough to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Then I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so it also happens to me. There's no difference. I was one of the richest men in the world, and, and there were fools that were living outside of my kingdom, and I was no different than them as it happened to the fool, so it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, that this is also vanity. For there's no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is, is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And the wise man dies, and the fool will die as well. So what's the difference? Death balances it all out. A man may think that he's found something under the sun that, that gives him a, a significant advantage. He may think that he's found something under the sun that, that he can keep just for himself that, that nobody else has. But you know, you soon learn the truth that, that death equalizes every difference except one, and that difference is the spiritual value of a man. How about you? You ever examined the spiritual value of your life, the, the inner man? You ever took that examination? The difference is the spiritual value of man. And we, we can even go a step further with that. If a man never pays attention to the difference that spiritual concerns make in his life, then he may as well have been a beast. If you can't discern the difference between your spiritual life and your physical life, you might as well just be a beast, the Bible says. Because at death, the lowest creature in the animal kingdom will have as much to show for his effort as the human being who only has distinguished himself in worldly ways. You might as well just be the fool because animals breathe the same air that you breathe and they're going to die the same way that you die. The only difference being that there's no reasoning in animals at all and there's no spiritual life. Death balances it all out. Why should we have to die as a fool? It's vanity, vanity. Ecclesiastes 3, 18 and 19 says this. I said in my heart concerning the state of the sons of men that God might manifest them. 
as that they might see that they themselves are only beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of man also befalls beasts as well. Even one thing befalls them. As one die, so the other will die, they're going to die as well. They all have one breath, so that a man has no preeminence over a beast when it comes to breathing God's air, because all is vanity. Let me tell you, you have no preeminence over your fellow man either because you breathe the same air. Some people feel like they, they breathe an air much, much richer than anybody else. But we all breathe the same air. We shop the same stores. We are buried in the same ground. All of it is vanity. What you looking for? What you looking for? And at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he pointed to one thing that truly makes human life different from any other life form on this earth. He said that we need to fear God because beasts can't do that. Fear God and keep his commandments for, for this is the whole duty of man. And God will bring every deed into the judgment and every secret thing, whether it's good or whether it is evil, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with, with governing your spiritual life when it comes to a relationship with God? Because God will bring every deed into the judgment and everything that you're hiding in your closet is coming out, whether it's good or whether it's evil. I got to tell you that we all have relationships in our lives. And one spiritual relationship to God determines whether life contains any profit at all. It determines whether it's any good or not. It's your relationship, individual and personal relationship with God, that determines whether your life has any profit at all. And the fact is, everything else is secondary. Everything. But we tend to take the secondary and make it the primary, and God gets to be the, the back burner on our lives. God becomes the vanity in our lives in our entertainment, in our finances, in all the things we possess, it becomes what's real in our lives and what we want. You know, it might take, <laughs> it might be taken for granted that, that every Christian understands this and, and builds his life accordingly. And we might even assume that disciples grasp the significance of, of being buried with God by baptism into death that he might walk in the newness of life. We might take that for granted. But Paul was writing to the saints, and he put it in the form of a question. He says, know ye not. Know ye not. We might even be confident that, that members of the Lord's body, because they are different from other human beings, amen, we should be, in behavior and speech. We might be confident that members of the Lord's body because we are different from other human beings or consistently spiritual minded. But we are not. And I know we're not because Paul said in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to the things that goes on underneath the sun. Don't be earthly and temporal people. Transform your mind into the spiritual things that come from God. Renew your mind. The truth is, we sometimes slip back into the old worldly way of thinking, and all we want is the profit that comes from life, so we think. 
want the profits that come from life. We, we, we strangely spend the bulk of our time pursuing objects that, relatively speaking, ought not to be no more than, than waste. Our values and our priorities, as our children and our friends know them, I don't need to think that they don't know who we are because our children and our friends know exactly who we are. They know how we think and know what we are, are seeking after. They know what we're running after. And not only that, the shame of the situation is you know what you're running after too. Is it all vanity? Does it really make sense? Is it worth it in the end? Because naked I came into this world, right? And naked I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. So what am I running after? What am I chasing after? You know, I remember as a child, we had an old Ford Fairlane 500. Man, and you can take the, the side, remember they had them side windows that you can just push out? And you roll the window down by hand. And what we would do sometimes is stick our hands outside that window, you know what I'm talking about? And that wind would just hit our hands and our hands would be going, we'd take it up and down. But you can never grasp that wind, can't you? You can feel it and you know it was there, but you can never grasp. It slipped through your hands every time. That's how our lives go when we seek after profit. We think that we grab it and we think that we got the world by the tail and it slips through our hands because it profits us absolutely nothing. Nothing. Our values and our priorities, as our children and our friends know them, are a little different than those of poor soul who, who's, who's still caught up in, in the race for those things that, that we call under the sun advantages. Everybody wants to be better than somebody else. Why is that? We're not. We're not. Everybody wants more than somebody else. Why? Why can't we share what we have with each other? Why can't we be equal? Because there is sin that abounds in this world. There's an evil axis that, that comes and sits beside us and tells us that we are worthy than somebody else. That you can get two plates instead of one. We caught up. We caught up in the race for those things that don't even matter in our lives. And nobody, nobody races after God. As a matter of fact, what we do more than anything else is we run from God. Jonah did it. Nobody races after the things of God because kindness will never slip through your hands. It'll always be remembered. Just try it and see. A nice smile to somebody who's having a bad day will never slip through your hands. Try it and see. Patience will never slip through your hands. Just be patient with your children and see what it does for them as an adult. It'll never slip through your hands. Mercy will never slip through your hands. Try and have mercy on somebody. Forgiveness will never slip through your hands. Have you ever forgiven somebody and they've come back and told you, thank you for that? It, it, it makes you better and it makes them better as well because those things are the things that endure. They will never slip through your hands whether in the Ford Fairlane 500 or not. Never slip through your hands. We caught up in the race. Listen. The things that interest us and excite us most are often things that are purely temporal. They're going to fade with time. We, we live and we, we work and play as if there's no radical difference that elevates us above a person that's a fool. 
We live and we work in places if there's no radical difference that even elevates us above an animal. And some of us act just like that. We act like fools and we act like animals. I'm talking about the world, amen? I'm not. Many of us, many of us are desperate. We're in desperate need of the Lord's forgiveness because we fail to be much differently inwardly than the world is outwardly. From, from those who, who, who think society and worldly distinctions are, are what it's all about. I mean, some people just can't find themselves. They, they just can't see past material things. They get a Volkswagen and put on it, I'm blessed by God on the license plate. What is that? It's just a Volkswagen. Wait, wait three years and see what's going to happen to it. Is God blessing you then? Oh, man. You know, we live in a throwaway society. We really do. I mean, to realize that. And some things in our lives, we need to throw away as well, but, but we want to keep ours while everybody else throws theirs away. We live in a throwaway society. And, and the things that endure they still command our intention and our appreciation. Most of us try to obtain the most enduring items we can afford. We want the major purchases like the houses so people can see them. We want the automobiles so people can, can see them. We want the furniture so that people can, you know, we even take pride in, in, in where we went to school at, and that's all right, that's all right. The president of a college, you know what he said one time? He said, I want to build an institution that's going to last a thousand years. A thousand years. However, such material possessions and earthly institutions, they're going to one day come to an end. Jesus even spoke to, about the end of the world in Matthew 13, 10. He said, everything's going to come to an end. And, and it was John who said, and as well, he says, the world passes away and the lust of the world thereof, they all are going to pass away. 2 Peter 3.10, Peter writes of the day of the Lord in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein, everything under the sun shall be burned up, Peter said to the Jews of dispersion. It'll be gone. And those who only think of temporal material things will never lay hold of the eternal spiritual things that endure for a lifetime and endure for eternity. We'll never grasp hold of that. I'm thankful though. I'm thankful for having known some individuals in, in my life. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are truly different from other human beings under this sun. Who live their lives differently on this earth from, from other human beings because of the influence of Christ. They see with, with clear-sighted wisdom and and love for the Lord. They see what it is in life that, that really matters. They, they, they get it after a while. There are men and women who outward lives, in most cases, not even extraordinary. They're simple and everyday people. They know that not many wise men after the flesh and not mighty noble, not, not, not many mighty were, were even called by God. Nevertheless, they are, they are truly in the category apart from all other human beings because they desire not to be the fool. They don't want to be the fool. They're different because they've actually been, been born a second time. They've been baptized into Christ. And they've genuinely become, become a new man, 
They put on a new man, and they rejoiced in knowing that whatever else life might hold, Paul said to the church in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They have found the single most advantage in life that is a man's to keep, and it's the only one that matters under the sun. Our advantage, our single most advantage is a spiritual relationship with God. It's intimacy with our creator. And this relationship, and this relationship only determines whether life contains any profit at all. You know, some people will tell you right away, you know, I got it all. I have it all. And you have absolutely nothing. The, the, the one thing that counts, the only thing that counts, the only thing that's profit for man and the son is a relationship with God. Everything else is secondary. How about you? How does your relationship with God stack up to your life as it relates to this world? We got so much of stuff in our garage, then we get a storage unit and put it in there and pay monthly rent for that. Stuff we never see for two, three years is in there. Oh, we know it's in the storage unit, but what, what is it in there for? What is it doing? Yet we can't store up the love of God in our hearts for one minute. Don't have to pay rent for that. We don't. A spiritual relationship with God. With God. A relationship that determines whether life contains profit at all is the only thing that counts. This is the only profit for a man under the sun. Everything else, you got to determine where it falls at in your own life. You have to determine its significance in your own life. Because we say we love God, sure we do. But do we really? We really love God. Faithful Christians will do well to, to occasionally check on their grand estate and make sure that it's, it's affirmed in Christ because it, it strengthens our faith and, and it prepares us to, to show the, the alien sinner his condition outside of Christ because they see the light in us and they can compare it with, with, with what he could become in Christ, what he could be. It appears to me that, that one of the difficulties with which we have to contend with today is showing folks the hereafter, not just the here and now. And that, that the hereafter is worth one's attention. It's worth paying attention to, to eternity instead of the temporary things that we have right now or we think that we have that's slipping through our fingers just like the wind. You know, young people have a, they, they have trouble becoming really concerned with eternal matters in society because eternal matters are or not on those iPhones or those iPads that they got their faces stuck in. Well, if we can just put eternal matters on those phones and on those iPads, you know what, them children would know God better than we do. They would. And there's some adults, too, who still at home playing those games and neglecting their wives, just flipping their, I don't even know how to do it. You know what I'm talking about? There's some grown men and women who do that and they neglect their family sometimes their jobs and the things that they have to do around the house because they're playing those PlayStation games. They're not going to be in heaven. Listen to me. There ain't no games being played in heaven. You ought to stop playing them right now 
and be serious with your relationship with God and with your family, with your spouse, with your children, with the people that you work with, because if not, everything is all vanity in the sun. What, what good will it be for you? What good? We're being consumed by, by too many things that don't matter in our lives. And it, it takes the greater part of our attention and our energy, physically and mentally. We're being consumed by those things that don't matter at all in our lives. Love matters. It matters greatly. So if love matters greatly, the question in my mind is, do we really know what love is? Have we really practiced love in our lives? Have we even received love? There's some people in, in life that, that never even received love, never even had their parents or the ones that they're concerned with to even tell them that they love them. That's a tough ticket. Tough. So, so what do they really mean to you if, if you don't love them and you say you love them, if, if you never tell them you love them and you say it, what does it really mean to them? Absolutely nothing. What are you gaining? It's all a selfish ploy to get what you want and not give them what they deserve. I'm glad God didn't like that because God gave us love that we didn't deserve. Love that we have never, ever known in our lives. Everything that we were chasing at, after it, it was all vanity, it was slipping through our fingers, and here comes God. He says, listen, I got something better for you. I've got this thing called eternal life. If you would just obey me and do my will, you can have it all. But when it comes to God, we don't want it all. When we look at the world, we want everything the world has to offer to us. We want it all. One, two, three wives and two, three, four girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you this funny story. I, I, I used to think like that. Not, but I was a little boy. I really didn't understand it. But it really wasn't an excuse. You know, I tell my mom one time, I was a little bit of a boy. I said, you know, mom, I'm going to have a baby in every state. <laughs> and the same thing I get that idea from. <laughs> not today. <laughs> Oh, boy, that, that, so thank God I came to my senses, right? Talk about vanity. Oh, Lord. But God is gracious, isn't he? God allows us to not be the fools. Because of his word that he puts into our heart and allows our lives to be shaped by his will, we are not the fool and we don't act like animals. We act like the people that God has called us to be. He calls us by our name as Christian. It's a child of God. Anybody ever told you that? <laughs> or you heard anybody say, you know what? They didn't call me everything under the sun. What does that mean? Everything under the sun. I mean, everything earthly, which, which is really not good. Call me out by my heavenly name. That'd be enough for me. Call me Christian. I would love that. But we don't use that too often when we're referring to each other either. You can call me. You can call me Christian. But Christianity often seems to be related, to be translated by them as, by the world, by, by something that's only applicable to, to which, which seems to be far removed from, from their minds. And they're not presently concerned with it at all. The here and now. 
is applicable only to this moment, this minute, and what you're doing with it. And we will see how it pans out in eternity. What you do with this minute, with this moment here and now, determines how things for your life will pan out in eternity. You can see the world doesn't want you to believe that, that, that you can never be more valuable to God than you are at this very moment. The world wants to think that they're more valuable to do than what, what, what God is, and the world will give you anything that your heart desires, but so will God. He says, if you ask according to my will, you can get that. But he says, you ask amiss. That's why you don't get it, because your heart and your mind is not on things that I need you to have them on. Your mind is on worldly things. I've said time and time again, there ain't no Cadillacs in heaven. Stop asking them for them. They're not there. The ironic thing about, about the persuasion of the world, though, is that it pries us into believing this world's goods will make our lives a blessing. Just, just find yourself going home and... and, and and you see two, three cars parking, you oh, God, then bless me with two, three cars. We, we, and we think that's, that's our whole world. We think that's, that's all God blesses us with is material things. God wants the inner man. He wants our hearts. That's how our blessings flow. It flows from the inner man, not those things that are outwardly. Those things that we, we see as material things, it deprives us of the very things that we say that we need. We say we love God, but you know the very thing that we really do need is to stop saying we love God and have a relationship with God. That's a big difference. You don't have to speak a word. If you have a relationship with God, you don't have to say one thing because your life will speak for you. Ecclesiastes 2.11, he said, I looked at, at all the works of my hands and the labor that I'd done. Everything was vanity and vexation of spirit. We ought to be tired of being vexed by the things that just don't work because there's no profit under the sun. I gotta tell you that, that being made in the image of God is our greatest blessing. It's our greatest asset. And we need to live our lives as if we know that. And it's God who offers us an opportunity to allow him to savage our lives just, just, just give him another opportunity through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He can save us. An amazing thing is that it is a free gift, but it isn't cheap because it caused God, it, it caused him his only son. A priceless gift that he gave to you and to me. And we spurn it. Because it isn't what the world wants. It's what he wants. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. The Hebrew writer says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I want you to, to beware because you can walk away from God and walk directly into the world. But I want you to encourage one another not to do that. Encourage one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. You know, too many times we deceive ourselves about what we need and what we want as well. What we need is God. And what we want is often different from that of wanting God. 
For we are all partakers of, of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. If we don't, if we don't deviate, if we don't take a different course or a different path, we can all be made partakers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So then the question becomes this. Why are you looking for something that you, you know you're not going to find? Why are you doing that? Because it profits you nothing under the sun. Our minds are geared to think like that. You know, you, you lost $10 and you, and, and you go look in the drawer to see, well, maybe I put it in this drawer right here and you come back again 15 minutes later looking in the same drawer knowing it wasn't there because you, <laughs> you ever did that? Well, let me go. Maybe I overlooked it. No, we overlooking God. He's right there. We don't have to search for him. We don't have to run behind him. He is there for us. Too many of us are running from God and we're looking in the wrong places for God. Let me tell you something. Anytime any you, you have a good relationship with another human being, don't you know God is in the middle of that? He's in the middle of that. And, and I want you husbands to be careful because, because the Bible says that, that if, you, if you don't take care of your family like you take care of your family, God does not hear your prayers. I need you to understand that. He won't hear you. Let's get Mark 8, 36 and, 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 and be finished. What shall it profit a man? What a wonderful question, isn't it? What, what are you going to gain by gaining the whole world? What, what is it going to do for you? You got the whole world, but then you lose your soul. What that tells me is that you've been a fool all your life and never considered God. I want to build bigger barns because I got, I got bigger stuff I want to put in there. I got, I got more stuff. And God said, you fool. Your soul is required this night. What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you want that God can't give to you? We've got to reckon with our own selves, with our own attitudes, with our own lives, and how we treat people. We gotta reckon with that. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What is it? What are we running after? What is it that we, we want? You know, Solomon has seen all the things that people have to do. And he's applied himself to every last one of those tasks. Yet he still found all the things that that are part of the physical world, he found them to be futile. In fact, he says that these things, if they're not spiritual, are like chasing the wind. This runs right through your fingers, through your hands, and you can't even grasp it. You can't. Quite simply, chasing the wind is ridiculous because we drive ourselves to do things and to want things that are really of no, no cost us at all. They don't make a difference in our lives at all, but we want them. It makes a difference to us, but not to the world. Let me just make this blanket statement right here. Nothing gets fixed in life. Nothing gets fixed in life. And the question is, what can we really fix in this world? There's one thing I know we can fix. Amen. You, we can fi we can, you can fix yourself, right? 
But we want to make ourselves so important and give ourselves these important life purposes. But we're really not fixing anything. They have these grand statements of purpose that we make. Everybody wants to, to talk this real talk. Let's, this is real talk, right? What is that? Now, we're on this earth to make, to make the world a better place, they say, and want to give back to society. You can't make this world a better place or give back to society unless you start with you. You got to get yourself right before you can come to me. And the reason why you know I'm crooked is because you crooked. The world isn't getting any better. It, it, is what is crooked being made straight? No matter how, how things seem to be new to us, in their essence, they're all the same. Look at politics. Every four years, every four years we have people running on the same platform that they're going to fix things. What's changed? Nothing. Nothing new under the sun. Their promises become lies. And their lies amount to absolutely nothing. Don't be that person. The promise hinges on, on, on things being so much better in the future. But they're empty promises. Don't make any empty promises to yourself. Don't make any to God. You can be for God what he calls you to be. Stop lying to yourself. Stop living the life of vanity. not going to happen and nothing has ever changed because worldly wisdom it doesn't bring joy and fulfillment but only brings pain and frustration I've said that, that, that people have the same problem when it comes to money whether they're poor whether they're rich it's just a different perspective they both have problems with money it's vexation it's pain and frustration I'm not saying that God isn't going to bless you with any money, but it's about being a good steward of the things that God has blessed you to receive. Don't be a fool with it. Don't be a fool with it. That which has been is what will be. And that which is done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he says, if we're going to brag, let's brag this way. That the testimony of our conscience is that we conducted ourselves in this world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Or if the world can just see us conducting ourselves in the simplicity that is his and in godly sincerity and not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we would be a better people. But while the world and all that is in it will pass away, we know that the world is passing away, and the desires and the lusts thereof are passing away as well. But you know what 1 John 2.17 says? He who does the will of the Father abides forever. Jesus said in Matthew 7.21 that everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You can't do your will and get to heaven. You can't do what you want to do and get to heaven. You, you can't go to, to church how you want to go to church and get to heaven. Or even to the church that you think to get you to. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. He only built one. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a singular pronoun against it. Not a thousand. 
It's only he who does the will of my father is the one that's going to get to the kingdom of heaven. Everything else is chasing after the wind. It's what you want, not what God wants. And it includes being born of water and of the spirit and always abounding in the work of the Lord. You've heard this before, just in a, in a different way. All I'm calling you to do is to be what God has called you to be and not be a fool out there in this world. Huh. You know what's even worse than being a fool? is being an old fool. Huh. You know, we, we got plenty out there, right? Got plenty of them out there. And I'm glad they're out there so I don't have to be one of them. But I still want you to know that, that, that it could be any one of us at any time, right? We're not different from anybody else. We can fall victim to the game just like they have, can't we? But we are the people that can rescue them through the words of God and the lives that we live. They can be rescued through the salvation that comes from God. We've got to be available to give it to them. Then we can't just spurn them because we see them that way. Because it could be us one day. The things that we're chasing after makes us no different from a fool or from a beast if it's not spiritual. Let's chase after those things that are spiritual. Let's chase after God. Let's run this race like our salvation is really, really important because it is. Hear God's word. He calls you to hear him. I know you do. He calls you to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the sad commentary is that, that even the demons believe that he is God, but they tremble because they will not obey him. Why be like that? We've got to confess Christ. We've got to confess him with our mouths and with our tongues and with our lives. We've got to be the light, Matthew 5. We've got to repent of our sins. Boy, it's so easy to say, I'm sorry, but we just can't fix our mouths to say it not to each other, and especially not to God. That's all God requires for you to come into the kingdom. He requires that you repent of your sins as well, and that you be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. For as many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You can do it. You can be what God has called you to be. And I'd like you to do that, if you will, as we stand and sing God's invitation song. All of my journey over the mountain, through the deep veil. Would there be one to respond to God's word? We have your sins forgiven. You be washing the blood of the Christ. Never can fail. We walk in the sunlight with God. Heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Sonia Still, Traveling Grace. Sister Butler, Traveling Grace. Good morning. Asking for prayers for Traveling Grace to and from Pineville. Going to spend time with my son and grandkids. If God's will, we hope to return home on Wednesday morning. Thanks so much.
Sister Lazada Hall, health-related traveling grace, asking for continuous prayers for my dad. His health is improving and ex expected to be discharged on tomorrow. Also traveling grace for me back home. Thanks. Tara Lagarde, health-related traveling grace and thanksgiving. Good morning, church. This month has been all blessings. I just wanted to say thank you, God. Church, I ask you keep my family covered with the church prayer. I ask the church to keep my brother in prayer who's dealing with his health issues. I ask church to pray for my family and Tyrone and T travel back to Houston safe. And for the elders, please pray for Brother Kobe Roberts. He was recently involved in a vehicle accident. Pray that he continue to grow in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Father God, sustainer and giver of life, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us continuously, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for just always being with us, Lord. We ask that you forgive us of our sins. Help us to be better Christians. Help us to be more like Christ, Lord. Give us the strength and endurance to run this race here on earth, Lord. For when we finish, we want to hear the words, well done. Lord, we want to ask those that many of us are struggling with physical ailments, Lord, and we ask that you heal their bodies, be with them, Lord, strengthen them. We ask that you be with those who are going through bereavement, Lord. A number of our members are going through bereavement, and we ask that you comfort them, Lord. Comfort them in the only way that you know how, that they will receive Receive you, Lord, and be able to go through what they're going through, Lord. We know that you told us that our mother and father will, will forsake us, Lord, but we know that you will take us up. Lord, we ask blessings on those who are not a part of the body. We've heard your word, and we pray that they receive Christ. And next meeting, we can call them brother and sister. Lord, we ask that you continue to be with us and all that we Say, think, and do, Lord. Be with us always. Continue to watch over us. Keep us under your care and command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper and give me see alone. Oh, what wondrous love I see freely shown for you and me by the one who did atone just to show his matchless grace jesus suffered for the race in gethsemane alone 
is love. Oh, what love for me was shown, for me was shown, is forever. I will be for the love he gave to me. When he suffered all alone. Oh, what love, what love, matchless, matchless love. Oh, what love for me was shown, for me was shown. His forever I will be for the love he gave to me. In Gethsemane alone. It's about 700 years before it came to pass, Isaiah prophesied of our Lord and Savior's suffering, death, and resurrection. Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 12 reads, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of the many and made, trans and made intercession for the transgressors. Now more than 2,000 years later, we as the Church of Christ come together just as the first century Christians did come together on the first day of the week to commemorate the memory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 26, 26 through 29 reads, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood and the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us pray. Dear Father God, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, Lord. We thank you for the sacrifice he made for us. Bex blessings on the bread that represents his body, the cup that represents his blood as he died for our sins. 
we ask blessings for those who partake of this, the remembrance of our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 reads, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him as store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. If you, some of us have already given this morning, and if you would like to give also, we have, after service, you can give your collection here. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for all things great and small, for we know that all things work according to your goodness. Bless those who cheerfully gave and those who want to give but were not able to give, Lord. Lord, we bless, we ask blessings for those administering the fund, Lord, so that we continue to use them for the upbuilding, upkeep of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once again, you know, it's, it's great to be found in God's house, and I'm grateful for those that have come, that we might worship God in spirit and in truth, assembled as a church that God has called out, that we might do his will. You know, what's ironic is that I don't have any visitors called, but I know that, that uh, Sister Renelle Smith brought a lot of people with her this morning. Yeah. I see, uh, I see your husband, Derek, huh? Yeah, good to see you, Mr. Derek. Pleasure. Always good to have you with us. Refreshing. Certainly refreshing. And I think uh, you had a couple other people, which I think they had. Yeah, so they had to, they had to leave. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And, uh, and that's Shayla? Yeah, good to see you. We love those babies, man. Yeah, appreciate you. Good to have you with us this morning. Nobody uh, on this side. Well, you know, we got a. Uh, John and Shirley Flynn. Well, it's been a while since we've seen y'all. It's refreshing to have y'all with us again. They were members of this congregation and uh, they uh, decided to move to Mississippi. Isn't that right? Yeah, and it's good to have them back visiting us today. Uh, anything y'all want to say? It's good to see y'all. Yeah, thank you. How about you, Sister Shirley? Let him speak for you. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. Uh, God is good. We know that there's a lot of people this week that's having birthdays and some anniversaries, right? Is that right? Birthdays? All right. Last week. Last week. All right. Well, we want to say happy anniversary because we might have missed that last week, huh? 
Yeah. Bird days, all right. Let's get all that in. That's right. We don't want this. Now, we love celebrating people, you know? So eventually we'll get it right and the celebration will be, will be proper. Um, there are a lot of people making birthdays this week as well, but as was announced this morning that uh, Miss Lucy Miller made 85 years old on last week. That's, that's a wonderful thing as well. I also want to say that continue to pray for those that are, are having babies. Look like we're having girl babies all over the place. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So, so let's pray for those families as well as God continues to bless their lives. Thank you all so much. Y'all have, have a good day, and hopefully your team wins. Let's all be standing as we come to the close of our fellowship this morning. As we begin our new week, just be safe and enjoy the week and enjoy the day. Earth holds no treasures but perish with using. However precious they be, yet there's a country to which I am going. Heaven holds all to me. Heaven holds all to me, to me. Brighter its glory will be. Joy without measure will be my treasure. Heaven holds all to me. Father, we bow heads. Thank you for the manservant of God who stood before us. There's nothing under the sun that has not been done or said. But through your son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that was shed on the cross, we have a chance for forgiveness of sin. And Father God, as we begin our new week, we just trust and pray that we will be the example that you have us to be. Calling those things into remembrance what we've heard today, Father God, who be able to strengthen us while we're weak and build us while we're torn. For, for those that are listening virtually, continue to be with them as they travel throughout the rest of this day and the rest of this week, that they might continue to proclaim thy truth as well. Father God, we just ask that you forgive us when we fail you. We love you and nothing without you as we go into the first of this day as well as the first of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>